it's it's interesting how the the Lord works and uh, is always moving everything toward uh, the message that He's trying to give. Like I said, literally that that last song was in itself um, the essence of the gospel in song, right? Uh, the sermons that we always try to preach, those which encourage the heart. And um, one of the things that I find as I'm getting older, in case you didn't know, I'm over 30, twice. Um, <clears throat> but uh, one of the things that I find is that the idea of mission becomes increasingly more important. I, I, maybe it's a function of realizing that the time left is short and the need is great. And mission isn't something that's a strange concept to us. Um, I mean, businesses and nonprofits have missions, sports teams have missions, Providence has a mission, right? Um, and I, I wonder if we, how much we stop to think, and I, I say this more to myself because I don't know that I do it enough, I know I don't do it enough, that we've been given a mission, one that transcends ourselves, um, one that, if we think about it too long and hard, it's kind of scary and seems a little impossible. There's, there's been an idea in churches um, over the last number of years, you've heard the, the term missional, right? Um, and, and sometimes that's gone askew, but I think um, Alan Hirsch, he wrote a little article called Defining Missional, and I think it really captures what it is to be on mission. So let me read that to you this morning. He says, A proper understanding of missional begins with recovering a missionary understanding of God. By his very nature, God is a sent one who takes the initiative to redeem his creation. This doctrine, known as Missio Dei, the sending of God, is causing many to redefine their understanding of the church. Because we are the sent people of God, the church is the instrument of God's mission in the world. As things stand, many people see it the other way around. They believe mission is an instrument of the church, a means by which the church has grown. A missional community is patterned after what God has done in Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, God sent his Son. Similarly, to be missional means to be sent into the world. We do not expect people to come to us. This posture differentiates a missional church from an attractional church. The attractional model, which has dominated the church in the West, seeks to reach out to the culture and draw people into the church. But this model only works where no significant cultural shift is required when moving from outside to inside the church. A missional theology is not content with mission being a church-based work. Rather, it applies to the whole life of every believer, 
Every disciple is to be an agent of the kingdom of God. And every disciple is to carry the mission of God into every sphere of life. We are all missionaries sent into a non-Christian culture. As the people of a missionary God, we ought to engage the world the same way he does, by going out rather than just reaching out. In essence, um, you know, mission is, is a little more, too, than just telling others about Jesus. It's about disciple-making, right? Um, in, in CBMC, our, our twofold purpose is evangelism and discipleship. And in reality, that's two sides of the same coin, the same purpose, to make disciples. Because evangelism is the start of discipleship. What we do among businessmen in CBMC is disciple men who then disciple others, who then disciple others, who then disciple others, who then disciple others. It's kind of a force multiplier. Those of you who have been in multi-level marketing are familiar with this concept. It started in the Bible. (laughs) It is the idea of telling others about Jesus. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just tell others about Jesus. And in large part, most churches have a verbal commitment to that. The the hard part, um, and, and the real question is, are we who make up the churches committed to truly being disciples to carry the mission? That's the harder thing. But how can we make disciples if we aren't active disciples ourselves? Um, Work schedules, our family commitments, uh, and a thousand other things that happen in the course of life make it difficult and, and, and perhaps planned by partly by the enemy and partly by our own sin that leads us to look at ourselves, makes it hard to get into this spot where our focus is always on Jesus. You know, Jesus um, made it clear what he meant to be his disciple in Luke fourteen twenty-five through 33. He says this, or Luke says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. Okay, so I fail at that almost, no, um, really every day. Uh, it, 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 yeah. Um, that's a hard thing. Because that says that everything in my life is always fully and totally focused on Jesus. <sighs> that doesn't happen. I, I don't know about you, but... Um, for me, even, even when I wake up in the morning and start my day with a devotional, my mind fixed on God, at some point during the morning, I'm thinking about what I have to do, what I have to accomplish, what I have to get done. When I go and meet people, I'm thinking about, okay, what's this transaction that we can accomplish? I'm not aware of other people. I'm not thinking about, okay, God, how will you use me now, right now, in this situation? What's going on right here? To be honest with you, most of the time, my first thoughts are always about me. Yeah, okay, I kind of, you know... I don't know about you, but I'm pretty adept at kind of layering that over sometimes with a, with a God thing. Oh, I'm going to go do this for the Lord. But underneath I'm thinking about, now how, how does this affect me? Pastors are really subject to this. I kind of know. Um, you know, we start off in ministry. And we want to follow hard after him. But sometimes, week after week of preparing sermons, pretty soon preparing a sermon becomes your devotional time. You're not really spending time with God. You're just spending time trying to figure out what you're supposed to say to other people. And pretty soon all the stuff that happens in a church becomes, you know, what you have to do and accomplish and, and, and you kind of take it on yourself and put it on your shoulders and yeah, you say, God, help us, God, but you feel it inside like it's yours because subtly you've kind of stepped in to God's place in the whole process. I don't know, maybe you have it all together and you don't deal with any of that, but... <clears throat> But in case you do, if, if, if you don't have it all under control, um, in, in case you're wondering how do we carry out the mission of making disciples when we have such a hard time being them, how do we do that? Well, the short answer is grace. And God tells us some of how he's working by his grace. As we look this morning at Acts 1, 1 through 11, I, I think we'll find some encouragement that God makes a way for us to live on mission in spite of ourselves. Let me read that this morning, and I'm reading from the ESV, so I'm not sure if this will match up exactly, but Hear God's word. 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Pray with me. Father, as we take a few moments to think on your word this morning, I pray that you would calm our hearts, that you would give us clarity. I pray, Father, that, that the stuff in my life doesn't get in the way of your message, but that you would be speaking to each of us by your Spirit. Father, help us to glorify you, to grow more and more as your children. And we pray this morning that we would see Jesus. And it's in his name we ask. Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing that I think we see here in in Acts, in the first three verses, is that Jesus is on mission with us. It says in verse 1 through 3, in the first book, the first book, his gospel, the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So it says that Jesus, Paul, or Luke is saying that in my first book I told you everything that Jesus began to do. The implication is that Jesus continues to do it. F.F. F. Bruce in his commentary on Acts says this, Luke begins with a brief reference to his former volume as an account of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was received up. The implication of Luke's words is that his second volume will be an account of the things which Jesus continued to do and teach 
after his resurrection by his spirit in his followers. Jesus is on this mission with us. He's on it through his spirit and by the gifts that he gives us. As we do, Jesus is still on mission. 1 Corinthians 12 27 and 28 says it this way. Now you are the body of Christ. I'm going to let that sink in a second. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. We are Jesus. This is pretty heavy. We are Jesus on the earth. And by his spirit we have been given Gifts to carry out his mission. Jesus in John 17 in his prayer says this in verses 18 through 21. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God and Jesus in us for one purpose, Jesus prays, that the world may believe that you have sent me. He is on mission with us. We aren't here all alone, by ourselves, set to drift in the sea of humanity. But we have the one who has calmed the seas, living in us, working through us, moving with us, to accomplish his mission. And he gives us promises to that effect on top of it. The writer of Hebrews, in referencing Joshua and God's promise there, says in, in verse, or chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus himself in Matthew 28, 20, what's he say? I am with you always the end of the age. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, the thought that every day that I wake up, I wake up with Jesus present in me, ready to work with me and through me. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome thought. <clears throat> and, and Luke, in, in, in that gospel, in that passage before, in, in chapter 24, says this. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And that's where Luke is picking up in Acts 1 from, what he wrote here in the Gospel. Jesus tells his disciples, when he appears after his resurrection, exactly what their message and mission is, and they are to pro- proclaim it to others. And what is that message and mission? I, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't tell it, because there may be some that don't know it. That the good news is that the one and only God who created heaven and earth, who is holy and above all things, made us in his image in order to know him. But we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. But because he loved us so much, He came down and became a man in his son Jesus. And he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross so that he could fulfill the law that he himself had set for us to live by and take on himself the punishment that we deserved because we failed to do it, because we sinned. And so that everyone, who would ever turn and trust in him, would receive that gift. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice and that his wrath against us was now satisfied. And if we repent, which he calls us now to do, and trust in Jesus alone for our forgiveness, if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born into a new life, an eternal life with God. Now, if that's a new concept to you, please make sure you see one of the elders of the church or talk with somebody about that. God wants you He loves you, and he's made a way by giving of himself for you to live with him forever. That, my friends, is the mission he has given us, to tell that story to a world that desperately needs to hear it. And he hasn't left us alone to do it. Now, sometimes in all of this, we have to be careful because we get in the way of the process. So sometimes to be on that mission means we have to maybe wait on God a little bit. Um, In in verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait for the Spirit to come. You know, back from the dead, he's with the disciples. You think the disciples are kind of chopping at the bit, ready to go. Jesus is here, and Jesus says, wait a minute, you can't do this 
without my spirit. You can't do this on your own power. If we want to be disciples that make disciples, the, way, the only way to do it is to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to be able to tell others about what Christ has done. The Spirit is the one who gives us power to overcome fear, to speak boldly, to break through our selfishness and our self-absorption, to temper our emotions, to show compassion, to give grace, to see others through God's eyes. And how desperately I need that, because I don't know about you, one of the biggest issues that I have in this whole process is the fact that it's scary. Mostly because I'm thinking about myself a lot. What are they going to think about me? And I don't like conflict. Will they be upset? Maybe it's better if I just don't say anything. You know, after all, we can show Jesus by how we live, right? We don't have to really say anything to anybody. The the gospel... oh, Oh, wait a minute. Paul does say that for people to hear... The gospel has to be preached. Um, All right, so what's plan B? Um, How do I do this, Lord? I don't like to make waves. I like everybody to think nice of me. But we're not trying to get in an argument with people. We're just trying to tell them that God loves them. And what he's done for them. And the best and easiest way for us to tell them that is by telling them what he's done for us. The the problem is when we try and go out on our own strength saying, yep, today I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, invariably we get in the way. We need to start and say, Lord, by your spirit, fill me so that I bring your gentleness, your peace, your love, but most of all, your truth to those who need it. It's so easy to drift and do things in our own strength, in our own power. And then we get upset with ourselves because we fail at it, right? And why did we fail at it? Because we tried to do it ourselves. We're not good at this stuff. But Jesus is. He knows how to do it. And we don't have to know everything either. Sometimes we think, oh, I better study. You know, I've been in church for seven years and I haven't learned every word of every book of the Bible yet, so I might not have the answer when they ask it. But Jesus says to his disciples, Verse 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Can we tell people that you have come to make everything? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. And, And if I'm not mistaken, what he said in Luke and what he told his disciples to tell people was... To, to preach to them 
repentance for the forgiveness of sins, to preach to them the good news that Jesus came to redeem them. He didn't tell them, make sure you preach them good Reformed theology and you know how to answer every one of those questions about predestination. He said, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And even when we are not good disciples, we've had the experience with Jesus. So we can tell them about Jesus, what he's done, how he's worked, what's happened in our life. And we can tell it because he's still in us, living it out and giving us what we need. And, and finally, understand this, no matter what, even when we stumble and fail and fall, that mission will happen. Verse 8 especially. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will, will be, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 8 isn't a command. It's a promise. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and because of it all those who, are, who believe and are baptized with the Holy Spirit will be his witnesses. This is one of those places for me where self can reinterpret to that idea of power. <clears throat> you will receive power. And, and my brain, I don't know why, my brain kind of wants to go right away to, oh, I have power. But that's not what it says. It says you will, re you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's power because the Holy Spirit is with me. That's the power. Okay, again, I have to step back so that Jesus can step forward. It is so easy for us to, to read some of this and to read Jesus' description of what it is to be a disciple and to immediately go to the place where it says, I have to do this. And then we get all bummed out and upset because we try and we work and we fail and, we, and then we give up. We give up. Because we thought we had to do it on our own. We're not on our own. We're never on our own. Jesus is with us. I have power, not my power, but the power of the Spirit. Matthew 28 is the imperative. 
Make disciples. Acts 1.8 is the promise, the action by which it will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave the Great Commission and he included the prerequisite of spirit empowerment to accomplish it. The Great Commission comes equipped with the Great Comforter. This promise is fulfilled by the provision of the Holy Spirit, the missionary spirit, the Spirit of God who is always on mission, redeeming the world. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a piece of that. The missionary spirit is sent to witness to the coming of the kingdom of God. Leslie Newbegin says it this way, Mission, first of all, belongs to the spirit who is sent by Jesus, and the church is taken up into that work. Mission flows in the following way. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the church and equips it with the Spirit to enable it to carry out its mission. God does not cease to participate in the missionary enterprise with the sending of Jesus. He does not initiate mission with the sending of Jesus and then leave the missionary work to be carried on by a human institution that followed the pattern of Christ without the help of the Spirit. The active agent of mission is a power that rules, guides, and goes before the church. The free, sovereign, living power of the Spirit of God. Mission is not just something that the church does. It is something that is done by the Spirit who is himself the witness. We can effectively reflect the power of the gospel as we depend on the Spirit of God to empower us for evangelism, for discipleship, to bring the good news. But the Spirit does it through us. We are on a mission. We are called to be on a mission. So here's what I have to say. How do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, it's great to talk about it. It's great to say, you got the Spirit. Go be on the mission. How do we do it? There's some simple, little easy things that can start us on that way. First, guess what I'm going to say? Pray, right? Pray every day to be aware of people and to be genuinely interested in them. That's hard to do, by the way, because, at least for me, when I'm more interested in myself, eh, not so much in you. So we have to pray to be genuinely interested in other people. And, and here's some simple things. Next time you go into a restaurant, make sure you get the name of the server. And then ask them, hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? Because we're going to say a blessing over our meal. The next time you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I'm, I'm fine. Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean fine? How, how are you doing? 
It doesn't take much to change the course of a conversation. To find out what's going on in someone's life. And invariably, it'll open up to something that's going on. Wow, yeah. You know, when things like that happen to me, I just really trust in the Lord. I pray and ask him to be in the midst of it. You see, it's, it's not about creating a speech, a whole presentation. It's about being real and caring about people and asking and telling them what Jesus has done in your life. Yeah, the first opening of your mouth might be a little fearful and hard, but how hard is it to say to your server, hey, is there anything we can pray about when we pray for our meal? How hard is it to say, what do you mean by fine? But we have to ask the Lord, who is with us and in us to remind us always that we are not here for ourselves. We are here for him. And he, and we have to trust that he will be there every time we open our mouth to fill it with what's needed right at that time and that moment. So here's the good news. We all suck at being disciples. But Jesus is with us anyway. And he uses that despite us. And he'll use you and he can. Don't be afraid. Just be inquisitive. How are you doing? And trust the Lord to use you for his mission that he's called you to. Father, thank you that you are at work in our lives always, that you are using us, that you have called us, that you have chosen us, no matter how horrible we are at living out this disciple thing, that still you use us to bring glory to your name. Wow. That is awesome. And Lord, as we go from this place this morning, may we in all our messiness bring glory to you by just trusting in you and taking that step of faith out of the boat. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.